back, folks, to episode 27 of the Running Man Self-Regulation Skills and Self-Improvement Project podcast with your host, me, Dr. Armando Dominguez, Ph.D. in health psychology, licensed professional counselor, and also an adjunct professor at a local community college. And what we're going to be discussing today in this podcast has to do with the unknown. Now, the unknown as a concept, an idea, a thinkable thing, something born of thought, is definitely something that's broad-ranging and well-written about. The aspect we're going to be discussing today is the other half of that, and that is the percept, the perceptual environmental unknown. That goes along with the very thing that gets carried away when we allow what the unknown is. Once we take in those signals from the environment, and allow them to reach our higher cortical process and it becomes a narrative story and therefore what I discuss, explain, or complain as the unknown to those that would hear me. Now this isn't in any way taking anything like clinical level anxiety, panic, post-traumatic stress, or even stress reactivity and casting it into a distorted light. What I'm going to do is point out some things that many people don't understand that they lose their capacity to put words to a very visceral experience of the unknown. And we'll discuss also how far it can go once we let our narrative be influenced by the emotional state we experience as a result of that fear that's going on due to what's happening outside of us and our judgment of it as a result of it getting to our cognitive process. Now, this does not say in any way or imply in any way that you shouldn't have feelings or you should control all your feelings. This is about self-regulation, being able to know when it's appropriate to allow yourself to do what's called emoting or having feelings or opinions about things. And knowing when not to allow yourself to do that because timing is everything. And if we have emotions too early or a judgment too early, sometimes we may, in quotes, throw the baby out with the bathwater and then we're going to have one of those experiences that we wish we could do again. And we're not going to get a redo in most cases if it's stressful. So, in that vein, through this lens, we'll be looking at the unknown, not only from the conceptual side, how I think about it and make story about it, but also... We're going to look at it a little more deeply from the perceptual, experiential gut level sense that often goes without explaining. And I will say that clinically many people have talked to me and said, well, how do you know that? Wow, you really understand what I'm going through. And part of it has to do with acknowledging and validating the fact that there is a perceptual quality to the unknown that is not unspeakable, but falls within the realm of the wordless mind, so it's not so far from the truth, and we're going to be talking about that. So the very first part I want to touch on is what we know as the unknown, and the unknown is along the lines of what would be the answer to a what if, and these ideas uh, can kind of tickle our capacity for projection into the future based on what happened in the past that may have been negative, and then I start trying to make plans and strategies about how I'm going to handle what's going to happen. And if it happens this way, I'm going to do this. If it goes this way, I'm going to do ABC. And if it doesn't work, 
then I've got this as backup. And we start making plans and strategies about something that hasn't occurred. So mind you, this is an imaginative process, yes, but it's also predictive, which that's not a bad thing to have, because in many cases we can do that and drive by a relatively safe assumption, not an assumption of safety, but a safe assumption of accuracy based on prior behavior, which those are good measuring devices to determine whether or not something's going to occur a certain way. That's reasonable. It's when we try to lean on that assumption as it's 100% in all cases, that's when assumptions become dangerous and uh, deleterious to our plans and our safety sometimes. When we take them as sacrosanct and as law, when we elevate the assumption to apply to all things, and this is where the argument of all things being equal is a problem. Because all things being equal is not only unrealistic, it never happens. You can equalize things to a point, but those that interface with this relatively equal situation come from a different perspective and whatever neurological and behavioral differences we have. So it can never truly be 100% all things being equal. That is a nice comfy argument, but that's what it is. It's comfy in the social paradigm, but whenever we're in an environment where we could get hurt, we could get killed, anything like that, then that argument not only goes out the window, it becomes something that creates a vulnerability that really shouldn't have if we can at all help it. And if it's avoidable, don't lean on that idea. It's not helpful. That is when our assumptions make us at risk for being violated, for being taken advantage of, and being manipulated. So once again, that argument is is a cognitive higher processing sense and that is conception merely thinking but is not practical application of things but it can give us some use it's a reasonable argument but when unreasonable things happen just like theory it doesn't protect you and it goes out the window and things become much more simple especially when they're particularly unpredictable and theory is about predictability and regularity and being able to count on certain outcomes. And nature is dynamic. And when things get very dangerous, or asocial or antisocial, no longer within the realm of perfect predictability. And there's always that chance that uh, surprise will happen. And this is where we go into the unknown. Now, whenever we do enter into a social paradigm, that is, let's say we go to a family gathering or we're out in public at the shopping mall, going to the groceries, doing things. There are people out there. We have no control of what they do, but we are definitely reading body language. That's part of the information that we take in. And at the gut level, not at the higher thinking level, but the gut level, our body senses whether or not something feels safe, doesn't feel safe. Much of our information is taken in by visual capacity. Sometimes what we hear if something sounds particularly terse or loud or abrupt or fast, sometimes that might garner our attention if something smells particularly bad. Or if there's a temperature difference, such as there's high heat and it's unnatural uh, or not normal for this area, those are the kind of things that we take in to determine whether or not things are safe or not. And we make decisions, decisions based on that. Now, we're talking about the unknown. What is an unknown? Of course, the known, knowable universe we're going to speak from the neurological perspective and how we take in information. 
And if you do this exercise with me, if you sit or stand, and let's say you're in a room where you have three walls forward and one behind you, uh, if you stick your arms out to your sides, almost like an airplane, but your hand, your palms are facing the direction your face is, and if and I'm doing this right now as I'm doing this so I can describe it more effectively. So I am doing this exercise with nobody watching except myself. And I'm wiggling my fingers left and right, and I'm not turning my head left and right. I'm relaxing my eyes and just looking at the wall in front of me, and I'm actually able to see the wall to the front. I can see some of the ceiling and some of the floor in front of me, but I also see my hands left and right and the fingers wiggling simultaneously left and right without turning my eyes or turning my head. That is the fullness of my peripheral vision. If you raise those palms up above your head, you lose some fingers until you bring them to maybe about 10 degrees above your forehead and you bring your hands down and around to where your knees are. Maybe even you might see your toes without moving your eyes. This is all our perceptual sense of experiencing the known world moment to moment. Whatever is out in front of you visually and what you hear to your side, that is your perceptual known world, okay? And many people won't differentiate this, but I am because this is a very practical sense. It is something trained in the martial arts, but it's also self-regulatory skill that has to do with being able to sense at a distance. What are we sensing with? Well, we have pressure sensors that are called proprioceptive uh, uh, neurons that we have going on in our body. And the proprioception keeps us upright in space and lets us know how we're walking across space and how we're moving left to right and keeps our balance without us having to think, think about it. So proprioception is an autonomic thing and it helps us keep upright in space without necessarily stumbling. This does not account for all sense of clumsiness. We still have proprioception. Just might be a little stunted. Don't make fun of that. But uh, what is the unknown? The perceptual unknown. Well, if we have our hands out and we take our palms and put them palm up and point our thumbs backward, if we have a half a bubble to the front of us consciously that I can see, hear, taste, smell, this sort of thing, moment to moment, the exact opposite is what exists behind us. If we're to point with our fingers and make a huge circle, I cannot see that with my eyes, but if I'm out in natural light, not under industrial light in particular, then we'll call that fluorescent lighting that flickers, but out in natural light, you can tell when somebody or something walks behind you because it breaks the beam of light from the sun. It is a continuous piece of light or a beam of light. And we can even see, and I have had this experience, little bugs on the ground behind us, and you may feel like something's going on. Notice I said feel in quotes. And you turn to the right and down about 6 to 12 inches behind you and about 3 feet back, you might see a little doodle bug. Displacing light, would you say? I would think so. Our eyes are able to differentiate between total darkness and 1 to 2 photons of light at over a mile away in complete darkness. And yes, we can tell the difference. And sometimes I have had that almost like that supernatural feeling is like, how the heck did I perceive that? Or feel that. And the fact is, I felt it by the time I ever got to the point to say, how the heck? And that's how sensitive our eyes are. And our ears can pick up, uh, in addition, more information that couples with that. But these are some important things to our discussion today. The unknown, the perceptual unknown, not the sense or the thought 
or the idea of the unknown, the boogeyman that 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 could be out there potentially moving in the future, or that that was out there whenever I experienced this fear that I could not identify, but it scared the living crap out of me. But the actual perception of what we would call our unknown, because we can't see it, we can't name it, we can't label it, but yet if it moves and makes noise, we can pick it up. We have our sensitivity for pressure sense, temperature along our skin as well, as much as the proprioceptive that keeps our balance. And we also have our capacity to see to our peripheral areas at the level of mind that is subconscious. In the last podcast, we mentioned blind sight. We're using neuronal structures that run at a level that take in information at a level that is not thought about and weighed and determined to be this, that, or whatever. It's not labeled. It's just taken in as mass information, millions of bits of information moment to moment. And the same thing from behind us, our unknown that is perceived, our perceptual unknown world exists in that half bubble behind us. And yes, this is a strategic concept to teach you better self-regulation by being more harmonious in your environment. This is where we're going to take just a slight tangent, but it's related to understanding not only the known world to the front, but also to the unknown to the back, understanding that those spheres, kind of like a yin and yang balance, kind of exist together, but also our ability to exist knowing that we can't perceive to the back gives us a higher sense of security, a felt sense of security, not a thinking sense. But yes, it does give you some thinking sense of security once you play with it a little bit. You have people sneaking up on you and knowing when they're going to touch you when they're not. It's exciting and it's fun. And I've done this for martial art for years and my sons were incredibly good at it to the point whenever I would test them, they were close to about 95 to 100 percent. And I stayed at about the 85 or 90 percent rate because I learned this a little later than they did. But I started teaching my sons these methods when they were babies, when they were kiddos, just old enough to walk. And they were all fun and games. But now these are tools that have helped them survive situations that have been dangerous, moving away from things that were falling, things of that nature that are accidental, and uh, even things that were done on purpose. And they live as a result of that. I have a great deal of belief in knowing of these because I put them to work and I've pressure tested them. But also my sons have experiences learning this as young children, and they're very comfortable in their environments. And this is what I want to share with you. The ability to feel not only comfort, but a sense of aplomb and grace. I don't want to say control because we can't control everything outside of us. We can influence those things, yes. But I think the term that's more accurate is harmony. The Japanese term for that, I believe, is wa. So to have our harmony with our environment is to be able to feel a sense of comfort and being a part of. So whenever we walk into the woods... The animals, whenever they stop making noise, that would be disharmonious because we don't belong there. But yet, whenever we don't have a sense of enemy or a sense of hunting in us, but yet we're walking along or we sit still enough, all of those things start making noise and we become part of that environment. So it's not always in the woods, but sometimes in our work environment, sometimes in our social environment at home. Sometimes it's with a friend or a person whom you care about that you have to develop some harmony to be able to sense and feel 
And it's not always about talking and filling that space with words. That is a social assumption that we have to be saying things that are word-laden to be given value and to be providing them a reminder of our social importance. That's actually a very ego-driven thing. When we can be in a space comfortably and quietly, it's a lovely thing. If you can do this by listening to music or just being there without music, just observing and paying attention to your environment, that lends itself to a great deal of self-regulation, self-induced control of what we would call the stress and anxiety response. Now, how is this useful whenever the poop hits the fan, when it becomes deleterious, dangerous, and possibly deadly? By having a reference point of awareness, these senses get very sharpened and you can feel things at a distance that give you space from danger and time to turn around and identify or maybe even to get away. Find a point of egress. Don't be there. If it gives you an advantage where you can run away or walk away before anything even develops, then you've won in the truest survival sense. Once again, not points on the board, I win a game, but rather I've won my survivability, I'm above ground sucking wind, I am breathing, and I'm safe. And I'm somewhere that I prefer to be versus in danger or in a fight or anything that requires my protective nature. And that's the goal of this exercise today, learning the difference between a perceived known world to the front of us, a perceived unknown that does exist, and it's not just an idea. It's not just an idea of the unknown. Now, the idea of the unknown, whenever it reaches that sense of unknown, reaches that level of brain where we create a narrative, we will create a story. And it more likely will be exaggerated. And it'll be punctuated with emotion and feeling and opinion. And then we start thinking things about it. And the next time we tell the story may not be exactly the same. Would we call this inaccurate? I would say so. Can you be accurate about the unknown? Well, sure. If you turn around and look and see if there's anything that is unknown, turn around and get to know it. There is nothing more uncomfortable than feeling a social contract, a bind, a catch-22 that says don't turn around, don't look over your shoulder because they're going to think you're paranoid, you're suspicious, you're acting sketchy, they must be on drugs. These are the things that we tell ourselves and fact of the matter is that is one of the most useful survival tools to be able to turn around, look over your shoulder, identify, name, label, and get out of there once you strategize that. It's not good for me. If no one's giving you that permission, I'm giving it to you now. It is one of the most useful and effective tools that you can teach your children. And if you didn't learn it, I'm telling you, pick it up. Even as an adult, sometimes we think that we have to be appropriate and be looking forward. If you're in church, for instance... Think about this, and this is one of the most socially bound contracts that we have, and you're standing or seated next to somebody or people that are strangers, and everyone is dressed and ready for church, and you're supposed to sit still, behave, and listen while they're teaching. And if you have an uncomfortable feeling, but you're embarrassed to turn around because you don't want to turn around for no reason at all, you don't want to look nosy or odd or be judged. I'm going to put this in the context of survival. Those things that have hit the news, these events where people have gone into churches and started gunning people down or stabbing people in the house of the divine of God or 
spiritual religious practice that are supposed to be peaceful. If you were to pick up a signal that says, turn around, this is unsafe, I encourage you to turn around and make safe. Make safe first, then later you can make amends, make sandwiches, or be honorable, whatever. It's about survivability. And don't let the social contract bind you into not taking care of yourself, your family, and your little ones. Trust yourself. Trust your gut. Trust that enteric brain. Your perceptions are picking up things that otherwise might cause problems. And this does not turn you into a paranoid bag of nerves. It does not. Paranoia is a result of thinking. Looking over your shoulder is not paranoid behavior. It is one of safety-seeking and safety-making. This is not necessarily something that falls within the realm of the mentally ill and people using stimulant drugs. Those are judgments that we have because we're seeing differences in behavior. Those behaviors are about your safety and your security, and it's okay that you have them. Please use them. That's going to be all that we're going to be talking about today. And I want to tell you thank you for letting me visit with you. I certainly enjoyed uh, recording this, and I've certainly enjoyed knowing that there are folks out there all over the world listening to this podcast. Please follow and share and like. And if there's somebody out there that you think you can that they can benefit from this, please share it with them. I would greatly appreciate that. And I certainly want to tell you that if you have any comments or questions, please send them to the email at Running Man Self Regulation Skills project at gmail and we'll talk soon take care let's be harmonious walk well